With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Elbow grease and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, everybody. It's your... Turns into a lady when it gets a little wet and cold. Bruiser Holden McNeely, but I'm also a martial artist who also turns into a man when it gets nice and warm. Did I just describe the entire plot of Rama One Half? Bruiser Holden McNeely. And it's me, your uh, 12-year-old wizard who was who had no idea he was a filthy fucking weeb his entire life up until this point when he gets a hold of a really expensive VHS tape only to have his mind blown by a foreign nation with its own unique visual language and sense of humor and also really liberal depiction of female nudity, wizard Jake. <laughs> and... Yapapa, yapapa, ishanten. It's fucking Rama One Half, the '90s anime that started it all, the one that uh, laid out a ripple effect, a, an anime, a manga, a, a property that, without which, who knows how all of our lives would be different at this point. I mean, here in America, for sure, as it was such a big part of transitioning the art and the the work of so many to America from Japan. It was such a big part of the the uh, the movement. And for me personally, let's start it off. Let's get into the gush. This is just that franchise that I have heard about time and time again every time we research pretty much anything manga and anime related. And period. And it, it just seems to be the basis. Not it's just like anime the- and manga, like uh, American stuff, too. Like uh, Brian Lee O'Malley and Scott Pilgrim mentions Rama One Half. Uh, the yeah. team that all the Nicktoons mentions. Avatar, the team at Avatar mentions Rama One Half. This was a fucking lightning strike in, of inspiration uh, that could be felt all over the place. So that's it for me. I really got to experience this whole thing just this past week. But Jake Young. You describe yourself. Describe your disgusting little self uh, back when you were enjoying this. I know what's about to happen here, okay? We're about to talk about Jake being a filthy little boy. Let's get into it. Um, It's been... I have not revisited this series for decades. I, honest to God, it's literal decades since I've even thought about this show. And what really freaks me out is just how much, like... The damage had been done, and like I kind of moved on to other anime, other mangas. But at the time, I was 12 years old, 11 years old. Uh, my friend Danny 
hands me a copy, a floppy comic page of, of this new series that's called Ranma One Half. And it's it just blows my mind. I had never read any manga and nothing else looked like it. Again, we were in the dark ages of comic books. So, you know, stuff like uh, Todd McFarland and Rob Liefeld were all the shit back then. Stories were dark. Stories were grim. Everything was like visceral and just, you know, giant muscle dudes battling like skull faced uh, cyborgs everywhere. And here was a story that was just kind of cute and kind of fun. And the action was drawn in this crazy dynamic style and this insanely uh, like innovative kinetic energy behind it. And on top of all of that, there were titties. There were titties in it. There's flat out like, uh, you know, and not in a way, not like in a Rob Liefeld kind of way. There was like a weird kind of like oopsie doodle romantic kind of energy behind it. And it just totally flipped my mind. So this setting, like having being set in modern day Japan, having not experienced anything like that, uh, was already like t- it took place in this fantasy land. Yeah, and there's so much. And there's to stop you there for just a second. There is so much speculation too around it coming over and it it being is it that people relate to the stories and the emotions and the characters, you know, unrequited love and. These sorts of things, romantic comedy and also shonen because we love big fights. But also, or is it that it's so foreign? And that's why it translated so well. That's why it came over so well because people were like, oh, whoa, this is what it's like. The springs, the, the, but what's funny too is you're, and, and then also you throw into the mix the fact that this is actually a Japanese portrayal of China. I don't know where we're going to get into this in the show, but I honestly believe the fact that the one of the visual and uh, aesthetic hooks of this series that you know Rumika Takahashi, the creator, put into it was that Rama was this fish out of water who had been training in China for all these years and had to reintegrate into Japanese society, and the idea that all these mystical characters and foreign concepts from China keep invading this uh, relatively quiet Tokyo suburb is where a lot of the tension is from. Uh huh. And I think. We're, we're, we were so racist in America at the time. Not racist, just ignorant at the time right. that because the series is full of panda bears and Chinese food and like all the musical stings are like ding, da, da, ding, dong, ding, dong, ding. Uh-huh. Uh, that like in our own ignorant brains, it's like, yeah, Asia shit. Yeah, that, you know, this is right. yeah, that the fact that all of this Chinese uh, cultural touchstones are out of place in a Japanese setting was completely missed on us and it actually made it more approachable because it fit our whole mm. foreign aesthetic better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And God, everything about it was really mu- like, you have to understand, you know, if your only exposure to Japanese animation at this point was uh speed racer or like heavily, heavily, heavily localized things that were brought out for like cheap children's entertainment, uh, everything from like the J pop theme songs to the kind of, uh, what do you call it? Like future wave, uh, city pop, uh, pastel aesthetics of like the openings. Yeah, to... future wave, city pop, pastel aesthetics. How did you even have a hard time coming up with that? That's exactly what it is. To <laughs> the ways that the comedy was paced, because it's, you know, Japanese comedic tradition is com- a completely different set of timings and setups than uh, Western humor. And again, I really have to stress the art style and the visuals that were just so completely different than any other animation form that you were used to. Mm. Watching it now, 
Ranma One Half does not stand out as a particularly great anime. It is, you know, uh, there's hundreds of chapters, hundreds of episodes, and a lot of them aren't all winners. The series itself gets a little bit repetitive at a certain point. I know a lot of people that were diehard fans kind of like dropped off after a while. But I can't think of a better way to just shotgun blast everything you need to know to like appreciate anime in a single series because yeah. it covers so much it's all, all at once. Uh, and this drove internet culture to a huge degree. It was, you know, I was uh, surfing the Ranma web rings back in the 90s because uh, like we talked about in these video game episodes, the series was pretty much done when it came to like it was almost done in Japan when it came to America. So the there was all this information out there that you could, if you really cared, look up and like find out for yourself like oh uh you know the episodes were released out of order a lot of times characters would who you wouldn't see for years on the american timeline would show up in like weird one-off specials everything about it drove obsession because if each individual part did not give you enough information to to appreciate it god see i hold it i told you i'd get into a hole in this episode I like it. I like it. Though. I'm in I'm, the I'm, hole. I'm in deep. I'm, I'll throw a rope down when needed, but this is fine. I think you've you've hit on it, and I think that's why I say pretty much every single manga, anime, whatever we cover in this show, it all it all goes back to Ranma, is because Ranma really was every anime in one, and 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 was this big genre melder. That is something a you don't see a lot, and I feel like in anime and manga. But also that you uh, that it does it so well, it, it 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 manages to mix battle anime with romantic comedy anime with slice of life anime with with all so all these like staples that you get it, it all come together. I feel like incredibly well. So, so let me try and like really knuckle down on the premise of this series, like as, yeah, as get deeply. the knuckles out. Okay. Uh, in a sleepy Tokyo suburb uh, known as Narima, which is uh, pr- residential, like fairly urban, but also like fairly quiet, doesn't have a big entertainment district, doesn't really have an active nightlife. It's it's a, you know, high schools, uh, residential housing and like maybe one or two amusement parks. A mysterious girl in uh, full Chinese kung fu dress and a violent panda invade a traditional Japanese home. After much uh, misunderstanding, it's revealed that the owner of the dojo made an arrangement with his best friend that their children should uh, eventually get married and that they will pass down the dojo together. So it's this arranged marriage. Uh, it is then revealed that the girl is actually a boy and the panda is actually the friend. And it turns out while in China, they stumbled upon the Jusenkyo Cursed Springs, which is a series of cursed hot springs that are used as part of a uh, Kung Fu training exercise that anyone who falls into each specific spring is then cursed to transform into whoever drowned in that spring thousands of years ago. The dad falls into the drowned panda spring. The Ranma falls into the drowned girl spring. And as the series keeps going on, it's pretty much a joke. It literally becomes a joke at a certain point where, oh, someone fell in the cat spring and that character turns into a cat. Someone fell in the pig spring and that person fell into a pig. Right. Uh, one of the series' later villains fell into the ox carrying an eagle, carrying a fish, carrying like a <laughs> uh, spring, and like has transforms into this weird uh, chimera monster. <laughs> 
The mechanics of the transformation is when the subject is splashed with cold water, they transform into their other form when splashed with hot water, which they alter, which the very gremlins based rules. They can play real (laughs) fast and loose with these rules. Like if you drink the hot water, you don't transform. You have to get splashed. Uh, Boiling water. It doesn't have to be boiling water, but it clearly like if you're just sweating, you don't transform back. Very yeah, complicated. Sweat is not that we talked about that extensively in the Sunday study group. Uh, sweat is not a factor whatsoever. So this cursed boy is uh, set up by his parents to marry uh, one of three girls from the Tendo family. There's Kasumi, the older motherly figure, Nabiki, the scheming middle child who's always in the middle of a get rich quick scheme, whose uh, lack of ethics is a source of much comedy. And the youngest is Akane, a violent tomboy who... Uh, declares openly that she hates men, and it is then revealed that because she's like a cute girl, uh, her life has been a a horrible nightmare of potential suitors. When all she really wants to do is study karate, and she resents the fact that like she needs to even be married to get the dojo. And so we have a tomboy, uh, uh, this this angry young woman, who is forced to marry a half man, half woman, and complications ensue did this show therefore contain within it jake's first waifu yes oh no okay so many things so many things so a huge thing that uh, that uh develops in this show is more so than a love triangle like love trapezoids emerge as characters are introduced they develop crushes on one another and they're all like unrequited with ranma and akane akane is the youngest ranma's our half boy half girl being the uh, the core, Akane is absolutely the first Sundari. Lit, like when you think of the anime trope of like it's it's not like I like you, Baka. Like you know that that hot, cold, violent tempered like archetype was absolutely born with Akane, and the way that the show kept introducing female protagonists who all have their own unique backstories, who all have their own unique uh, drives, who all have their own unique characters. Like, all of a sudden, you start, like, shipping stuff. You start, like, rooting for people. You start picking out favorites. Especially, again, I have to stress this, for a younger audience that most of their cartoons maybe have one female character in general. Like, in Rama One Half, the female characters pretty much outnumber the male characters. So... Not only so you're like getting to know these characters and you're getting to pick favorites and you're uh, you get insights on their feelings and you know you want them to be happy and for an extra little gazoo these characters get naked all the time uh, because this is a sex comedy and Rama's gender switching thing is all about uh, I don't know if you know this about Japan Holden they're real weird about uh, sex stuff and gender segregation <laughs> but also weirdly okay about public nudity because of their bathing culture which results in a lot of opportunities for comedic misunderstandings <laughs> so this is all in addition to the fact that like Rumika Takahashi draws very pretty men and women there's like no real uggos in the series give or take like the older characters <laughs> So there's all these hot young high school students all running around pining for each other, getting into cool fights, learning, uh, doing uh, hilarious hijinks, and also falling in love. So all of these things are... So you got the harem anime, you got the shonen battle anime, you got the soap opera, you got the uh, comedic slapstick, all condensed into this one series presented 
whole cloth with barely any context to an American audience that had no bearing on any of these themes or tropes before. Yeah. I mean, it's almost the only thing it seems to be missing is the sports anime. But even then, the 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 way that the battle anime uh, side of the story is laid out is there's always a freak of the week villain who comes in to either uh, try and court Akane or challenge Ranma or just someone is thrown into the mix and they have a weird school of martial arts. So it's going to mm. be... Uh, tea ceremony martial arts where they have to fight using the accessories from the Japanese tea ceremony or figure skating martial arts where Akane and Ranma have to learn how to fight while figure skating or uh, rhythmic gymnastics martial arts. It it really does like subvert the old Kung Fu like uh, tournament arc kind of cliches by introducing all of these weird settings and weird rules to fights that Ranma then has to usually train, learn a special move, or learn to get over some weird advantage their opponent has. Mm-hmm. And eventually the day is won because he learned the cool move or found the weak spot or did whatever. But these are all these are all uh, classic tropes. These are yeah. all classic cliches. Yeah. Many of which were even kind of established with Ranma. So there's, I'm really, sh- I, the, the big thing I was trying to get to the bottom of is like, Stuff like the big sweat drop when a character is nervous or the nosebleed when someone's horny or the <laughs> smacking someone because they said something inappropriate and then flying off into the actual stratosphere. Right. Were these like, I couldn't quite figure out if this was, these were the things that Rumiko Takahashi actually invented Added. and was, yeah. and, and then became just default, this is what anime style is because. Right. Uh, Teen Titans. We haven't done an episode on the Teen Titans reboot from the 2000s, but it absolutely, it's, they're just stealing jokes from Ranma one half in the <laughs> show. The, the larger than life reactions, the chibi, the cutaways, like all of these things were built into Ranma one half. And I can't get over like the chicken or egg thing. Like if they had, yeah. if some other publisher had brought their number one series to America at the same time. Mm. Would some other series become the prototype for anime? Like, who knows? But for the generation that was completely new to otaku culture, Ranma One Half was the foundation bedrock. I will also say, since you've already so fantastically described what the whole thing is about, that it was written and illustrated by a woman named Rumiko Takahashi and serialized in Weekly Shonen Sunday from 1987 to 1996 and has been collected into 38 volumes all together. I, oh, God, the corporate... Stru- I, could you make heads or tail of the actual corporate structure here? Because mm. from what I could figure out, Shonen Sunday was made by one publishing company that was not different from Shonen Jump. It was a competitor to right. Shonen Jump who famously is the publisher of Dragon Ball, Naruto, One Piece, Bleach, all these big Shonen hits. But Viz, the American company that imported it to America is a conglomerate that is owned by an even bigger publishing company that I think all the other publishing companies are also owned by. It's very, very odd. But uh, Viz ended up publishing Dragon Ball in America Mm -hmm. as well. Yes, and and that's how it comes to uh, America is through Viz. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So it's it's a little bit... I I don't quite understand it because... I, whatever. If you're an, if you're an expert in the Japanese publishing business, please send me an email and I'll post an addendum to this. <laughs> but either way, I'm ready to talk about Rumiko Takahashi to get this uh, info ball rolling. The so queen. Here we go. The queen. <laughs> 
She's amazing. Born in Niigata, Japan in 1957. She was not super into manga as a kid, though she did doodle now and then on her parents pa- on her papers rather in high school. However, you can't not be a manga reader in Japan it seems. It's it's just it's pretty inevitable that you're going to end up getting a hold of it. And uh, Takahashi said, "I think that in Japan Comics are so much more an integral part of a young person's life. A lot of people are caught up by the look and copy psychology. So she was definitely doodling, drawing things, reading things. But she was also really into American comic books. So it's a bit of a full circle situation here. And she'll later talk. I have quotes later on of how surprised she was and how popular her work was in America. But she was reading American comic books. There was a small Japanese publisher that brought over several volumes of black and white reprints of them. Tagashi said, when I was in junior high school, I really liked Spider-Man. Though there has been an influence from those comics, it hasn't been in style, but in the sense of excitement I found in them. I've thought to myself that this was something the Japanese comics needed more of, and I've tried to capture a bit of that sense of excitement in my own work. And I think you kind of catch that with the pacing and the vibe of Ranma. As much as Ranma is... More, almost more romantic comedy than a fight s- story. It has this urgency to it, regardless of what mm. it's what subject matter it's dealing in in any given time. That is, I feel like representative of that uh, influence. Another big influence on her work is Japanese and Chinese mythology, with characters directly named after those from mythological works. And while at Japan Women's University, she enrolled in get get. Kiga Sanjuku. Oh, you're talking about Gekika Sanjuku, the manga school that yeah, was Gekika known for Sanjuku. its... I know, I know, I was getting there. <laughs> which was apparently a re... So I don't quite understand what officially made her, like, say, fuck it, I'm going to manga school. Yeah. But she picked the right one because the head instructor there was a guy named Kazuo Koike, who is known for uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, which is this super is like, influential yeah. samurai story. That's kind of the next one I want to get into personally. Once yeah. I finally finish, um, uh, what am I reading right now? Oh my god, I'm out Ronda of my mind. One Berserk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Once I'm done with Berserk, I really want to check out uh, Lone Wolf and Cub. And so, yeah, learned a ton from there. And you're right; it's kind of crazy because she's already at Japan Women's University taking full-time schooling from there and then goes to this other place. But she talks about it like, she even says, this is a direct quote, it didn't really feel like school to me. It was more like participating in a club. She would go there for two hours in the evenings and it was really for funsies, kind of, from what it sounds like. Okay. uh, Koike's thesis statement is, quote, comics are carried by characters. If a character is well-created, the comic becomes a hit. And that was very well-received by Takahashi because so much of what she her work is very character based wouldn't you say Jake oh absolutely almost to the detriment sometimes of uh the greater reading experience anybody who uh I know a lot of people want us to do Inuyasha uh which was another big uh series she did but like uh forward momentum in plots was not her strong suit she would kind of really focus on the here and now and interpersonal relationships. In fact, it really seems like all of her stories never really resolve very well. They all suffer eventually from too many characters being introduced and it becoming this like bloated thing. Uh, yeah. It's more about the journey than it is about the ending, in other words, with her stuff. It's more about just the enjoyment of these stories 
told through these characters throughout. It's actually kind of interesting that she did start this, you know, start her manga education with the guy from Lone Wolf and Cub and Crying Freeman, because her non-Ranma stuff does have a darker edge. She has the Mermaid Saga, which is this visceral kind of tale of immortals trying to, like, find the peace of death while fighting corrupted, like, like, spiritual creatures. Inuyasha is rife with horror and violence, so, like... Uh, it's it's definitely she does have a darker side that she does explore quite often. She's not just all slice of life, happy, happy rom com. Right. But, you know, as we've covered on series like this before, she develops a love of creating manga and decides to forego the classic Japanese corporate ladder and pursue the arts. And her family's like super cool with it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, her first short works were back in the mid-70s. She did Bye Bye Road and Star of Futile Dust. In 1978, she published Via Shonen Sunday some one-shots like Those Selfish Aliens, Time Warp Trouble, Shake Your Buddha, and The Golden Gods of Poverty. Her first work, Those Selfish Aliens, earned her Shogakukan's Best New Comic Artist Award, which was the major impetus for her to create Urusai Yatsura. Uh, Her parents have not yet balked at what she's doing, but we're about to get to that, Jake. But let's talk about Urusai Yatsura, which is another one that I feel like people could easily be like, you should just do a whole episode on that. It is a mixture of romantic comedy, science fiction, suburban life, and Japanese folk tales. It roughly translates to those obnoxious aliens and uses specific kanji to create Japanese pun. She, she... Bit of a fan of the pun, wouldn't you say? All, all Japanese comedy is is at least pun dependent, um, <laughs> and, and including not comedy like Dragon Ball. Even though Dragon yeah. Ball has a lot of humor in it, I mean, it is so filled with wall to wall like food puns and stuff that it's 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 like an undeniable part of being a mangaka. I feel like is like throwing as many puns as possible into your work. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus Trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Yeah. Either way, Urusai uh, Yatsura is about a guy named Ataru and an alien named Lum who believes she is Ataru's wife after he accidentally proposes to her. Again, this is something we reference all the time. You you, you may have you heard this know who Lum before. is. Yeah. You know who she is. She's the girl in the tiger bikini with the go-go boots and the horns and the green hair. She's in everything. She is like almost <laughs> a bigger icon of anime and manga than like Astro Boy or anything else you could possibly pick. Yeah, and and it was very, I love this, again, American influence. It was was actually quite influenced by Bewitched, the TV show. I believe it. She used to watch that growing up, I think. So that was, 
of course, a man marries a witch and she has magical powers, but she's trying to fit in with normal life. And very, very similar uh, concept for sure. It was originally to run for five chapters, but while not super popular at first, it slowly gained traction and really picked up steam for her in mid-1979. Takashi said the series, quote, really includes everything I ever wanted to do. I love science fiction because sci-fi has tremendous flexibility. I adopted the science fiction style for the series because then I could write any way I wanted to. Takashi also said, quote, for Urusai Yatsura, I didn't want to create stories in the usual way. I wanted the reader to be taken completely by surprise with the developments in the next panel. Ideally, every story should have numerous subplots connecting the beginning and the climax so that the readers would be kept guessing. It was pretty tough pulling off all those little tricks. Also, she loved to surprise readers with big slapstick moments in the panel change. And that, mm-hmm. that was a huge part of it, too. Right, Jake? Oh, yeah. No. Um, I, I know I said Akane was the beginner of the Tsundere dynamic, but like a lot of the Rumiko Takahashi comedy uh, cliches were born from Urusei Yatsura. Right. Um, you know, the big violent reaction to uh, Ataru is like pretty much he starts off as like kind of this uh, aloof, uh, happy-go-lucky kind of guy. But he eventually evolves into just gigantic horn boy just just the horniest boy ever just constantly pestering women for their phone numbers peeping on them just all the classic comedy tropes that you could ever hope for and i know punch me in the face if i say tropes three more times (laughs) i only get three more this episode Um, three more times i'm I'm keeping count all right uh you know he'll uh lum will think lum is after him uh, because she thinks he they're to be wed and uh, Ataru will uh, hit on another girl that he sees on the street and she'll be like, ooh, you son of a gun and shoot lightning out of her horns. And he'll be like, ah! like all these things. There's webs of relationships going on. And you have to understand these are still this is before Dragon Ball kind of came in and made everything fighty fight fight time in the shonen sphere. Mm-hmm. But this isn't a sports manga. This isn't Fist of the North Star where we have a lone warrior like on a quest. This is like relationships. This is comedy. This is like funny misunderstandings. And they're kind of, in a way, even though Ataru is like kind of the point of view character, we're introduced to like female characters and their own desires and their own drives. And the misunderstandings are born out of people's feelings. And it's, 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 it's kind of this already we're at a weird fusion of like uh, shoujo, you know, young women's style comics because Rumiko Takahashi is a female creator. And like, a shonen audience because mm-hmm. they're being published by this in the shonen anime right by manga compilation and so already we have these like interesting new fusions appearing in how stories are told Tropes. and it does very well oh and of course lum is just just drawn as a sexy teen girl in every yeah. panel in a bikini Takahashi said of comedy, it is a great way to get the readers to react quickly. I really get a charge out of seeing people laughing as they read my books. If a story is more serious, it's harder to determine if someone likes it or not. I guess I'm really just a kid at heart. Cute. But either way, it was a slow road to success. While writing this, Takashi lived in a 150 square foot apartment with her assistants and slept in a closet due to lack of space. And this is when the parents' disapproval comes in. Takashi said, my parents said, don't do it. You won't be able to eat. Get a normal job. And to be perfectly truthful, I myself wasn't absolutely sure I could do it. There was a lot of uncertainty in my own mind as to whether or not I'd be successful. And she definitely talks about taking a leap of faith and pursuing what's in your heart 
to, that you know is true that you need to pursue to live eventually, hopefully, a happy life. But there is risks involved. I mean, what creator in their 20s doesn't sleep in their own closet with two other people? <laughs> but this is the difference with Japan. The reason why the parents are especially freaked out when their child does something like this. And I didn't really realize this until doing this research. In Japan, before you even leave college, you are assigned to a company, like well before you leave college. And they don't really take entry-level people outside of college. So a failed mangaka in their mid-20s has very little chance of finding decent work outside of that industry. So therefore, it's even more risk to become, you know, a mangaka because you are extra fucked. There's not really, you can't really just cut your losses like you can here and just be like, all right, I'll just get a corporate job and just deal with it. You know what I mean? And maybe I wasted a little time. It's, it's a little different. Takashi said, in my case, success didn't come overnight. It took some time before things really began to move for me. But of course, the only way to find out is to do it. Try for several years and just hope for the best. She also said, I'm just happy to be able to have the opportunity to write so much. It's vastly preferable to not being given that chance. There are so, so many things I want to write. More than I could possibly write in a lifetime. I guess I'm just happy that I can spend my time doing what I want. And I think that's another thing with, with this person that I feel like is different from so many other people that she really has a lot of shit she wants to say. She has a lot of stories she wants to tell. And it's like dying to get out of her. And I feel like it has to be at that level for you to be as prolific and successful as she is. That so you're just like, I have so much stuff I need to get onto the page. So during this lull in her career, she wrote all those short stories. You, you mentioned the mermaid one. She wrote several sto short stories, some of which have been reprinted in the Rumik World series of books from Shogakukan. Um, and and you already mentioned the horror books and everything. So just to just to give you an indication, she's like working her ass off, putting out um, you know this ma manga, and she's like, oh, I'll also throw down some short stories because I need to write this shit. Fun fact about uh, Shonen Sunday. It was published and released on Tuesdays. The publisher just wanted the feeling of a relaxed weekend. That in makes the title. me furious. That makes me mad and I'm mad about that. <laughs> so, she was, so Ursa Yatsura uh, gets made into an anime and it's a success. People are loving it. Uh, the She's working on a monthly series on top of her four weekly chapters for Ursa Yatsura, a series called Mesan Ikoku, which I actually really want to get a hold of because it's a more like down to earth slice of life kind of deal about a young person who's kind of a fuck up who uh, gets his life together and has a much more subtle and complicated look at like day to day life than the sci fi antics of Urusei Yatsura or the kung fu antics of Ranma One Half. We're entered. She's entered like a ten year period between her twenties and her thirties, where she has made it. She has a hit series. She has prolific output and a popular anime series uh, to to her name. And that's when she decides to tell a new kind of story. Ooh. Yeah, so, well, wait, are you talking about Mason Ikoku? Oh, I, I blew past Mason Ikoku. <laughs> <laughs> I will say quickly about Mason Ikoku. It's very much based on her living in the cramped apartment. Uh, it, it also is based on her dwellings when she was a poor college student living in Nakano, a, di a district of Tokyo. She said, once you're thrown into an apartment, you have to live there unless you move out. 
You can't just reject the people to share the place with you. <laughs> that, that, that is how apartments work. You just have to get along with them. I wanted to create an emotional human drama centering around the apartment and its tenants. But I will say, Jake, yes, that is the case. But again, it's more intense in Japan. Because in Japan, it's very standard for you to have to give a deposit of six months rent up top. And, and four of those months are non-negotiable. You're, you can't get that money back. So you're even more so like people just like people decide on their career path really early and stick with it with the education thing. You also you have to commit to where you're living because you are super fucked if you if you can't stand your roommates and you want to move out. You know, it's very it's it's a bit of a different thing. But either way, uh, she was working on both of those mangas at the same time. Urusai Yatsura as well as Mesani Kaku, and it, the story revolves around a group of madcap people who live in a boarding house in 1980s Tokyo, and primarily around a down-on-his-luck poor student and the young, recently widowed boarding house manager where he lives. It ends up outselling Urusai Yatsura, and its success is chalked up to, this, to the great characters that the reader roots for throughout the series through the love story. Takahashi said, in the case of Urusai Yatsura, the main character was basically the one the readers wished to be. In Meisani Kaku, the main character is one that the readers can sympathize with. They can see themselves in his place. And I think taking those two, she kind of merged those two approaches with Ranma. And so, essentially what happens is, her first big break financially comes with Urusai Yatsura getting an animated TV series, which runs from 1981 to 1986, 216 episodes total, five feature films, three OVAs, and in 1986, Meisani Kaku gets its own anime TV series run for two years, and that, Jake, is when she decides to create something a little different. We <laughs> run my one half. Boom! We made it! Uh, so, it's 1987, and she's been reading a lot of Fist of the North Star, and the winds are definitely changing. By this point, Akira Toriyama's Dragon Ball has hit, and the uh, martial arts battle anime is in full swing. Like, Shonen has kind of coalesced around this theme. And wanting to keep up the popularity train, she figures now is the time to uh, cash in on that. And But she puts her own spin on it. Yeah. And so it kind and of starts specific, with the, And specifically marketing it to children and women. That is her approach. She wants to apply battle anime and also essentially just the aspects of everyday life and martial arts. Put that into it, into a fight anime and, and get it out to a different type of audience a little bit. She claims that uh, she definitely wanted to focus on a male warrior main character, but had trouble writing fully for a male protagonist. And so the idea came up very quickly that what if the main character was half boy and half girl? <laughs> and from that, she got the idea of uh, the transforming. And from that, she got the idea of what if it was a water-based transformation? Well, originally, from- you know, it was originally going to be every time the character was punched. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is hilarious. That would have been amazing. I kind of want to see that anime. <laughs> every time they're punched, they turn into a different gender. But either way, yeah. Oh, yeah, I have the quote from an interview. It's, uh, I had a difficult time thinking of how I could make the change. I did consider a change whenever Ranma is punched, but then his face would get swollen. It's pitiful. I was thinking, (laughs) boy, girl, boy, girl. And then the thought of a noren, which is a hanging curtain uh, to the entrance of a place of business that doubles as a sign. 
at bathhouses, they have it hanging up on the separate men's and women's baths. And so mm. at a public bath, I just thought, oh, a bath, man, woman, hot water, cold water. Because in Japan, the hot water tap and the cold water tap are like different uh, faucets a lot, mm. uh, which is like uh, like in England. Weird way to do it. America all the way. Just have it all come out oh, of one yeah, thing. That's what I said. One. one and done, baby. Uh, it's a silly creation, but I really am fond of it. I was, it was my hope to make Ranma one half a production that would give you a laugh, make you happy or energize you. And I think it was successful for some time fighting, love interests, gags, Japan, but with a Chinese twist. I wanted to make a, I wanted to make Ranma a manga with no nationality. And, and the, the, it was actually the decision to have the main character coming from China, training in China was actually because of the water choice. Once she settled on the water choice, she had that that Chinese situation because that was the only place that could have such mysterious springs, right. apparently for her. For her, so yeah, that that, that was kind of like every. It was like a domino effect, essentially, with all these different choices coming from you know starting with one point A and ending at the point B with with or ending at point C with all that stuff. I mentioned how the American audience was like more receptive to Ranma one half, maybe because Chinese culture and Japanese culture were still kind of blurry back then to Mm -hmm. a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And it was actually kind of funny rewatching it and realizing that to Japanese culture, Chinese culture is still like the mysterious East (laughs) or the mysterious West, technically. That, you know, it is this magical place full of like weird cursed springs and monsters and kung fu schools of various kinds. Boobs and tons of boobs. Tons of boobs. Well, can we talk about that now? I'm a little confused (laughs) as to how this is written for children and women, and it is just wall. There's a lot of fun boobs. Because it's not, it's not about sex. It's like the idea, the, all the, the fact is, whenever the nudity is introduced, it is this, like, it's supposed to be this comedic, like, uh, uh, stop to all the action because, you know, the idea is nobody wants to seem improper. Nobody wants to be seen as, like, uh, too sexual because that's embarrassing. That's shameful. So if all of a sudden, uh, Ranma is fighting someone and gets splashed with cold water and his, her boobs are just spilling everywhere. Everyone's like, oh my lord, like they're scandalized It's like Benny it. Hill a little bit, except for a little less horny, but still yeah. kind of kind of Benny Hill where it's like childlike, but it's, oh, my breast just happened to have fallen out. Of, you know what I mean? Oh my goodness, how crazy. And, you know, America <laughs> is a little bit more uptight about this kind of stuff, so... Obviously, that level of nudity was more uh, titillating for the American audience. But in Japan, it wasn't like, yeah, like, obviously, she was using it for comedic effect. And it definitely helped that she had draw all these appealing characters that would occasionally get naked. Uh, but, uh, you know, ba- public bathing culture is normal in Japan. If you go to a vacation and stop at a hot, a hot spring, you're expected to get naked. Like... Nudity in of itself is weirdly common in Japanese culture, even though sexuality is openly frowned upon, at least in public displays. And so a lot of the comedy comes from misunderstandings where, uh, you know, uh, Ranma is stuck in girl form by some mysterious magic technique. And therefore, uh, when it's time for him to take a bath at the public bathhouse, he has to, like, avert his eyes and it's, like, real spooky-ooky. Or, um... He's taking a bath in his home and like uh, shampoo the Chinese girl that they speaks broken Japanese and then pidgin English in the dub. 
uh, sneaks into the room in her cat form, jumps into the hot water, and is now uh, pressed up against him. And all of a sudden, his uh, family walks in, and they're like, Ranma, you're supposed to be engaged. What are you doing, <laughs> you beast? <laughs> so it's so even though American fans were absolutely like titillated and thought they were like watching something forbidden, to the Japanese audience, it would have been just like hijinks. It would have just been, yeah, Benny Hill shit. Right, right. I want to get into Takahashi's process here because I'm always fascinated by the process of the mangaka. Oh, the wait. Be- uh, mm-hmm. With the nudity, I just the, the, oh. you can tell how horny the specific scene is supposed to be by the nipples. Uh, Rumiko Takahashi never drew explicit, like, full nipples in the series. Like, maybe a couple of dots, maybe, like, something to suggest it. Uh, in a lot of the anime episodes, if the scene was supposed to be comedic, they would just be like literally just a pale pink dot in the middle of the person's chest. But if the animator was horny, fully rendered, fully <laughs> animated. And that's how you can tell. All right. So now I want to talk about Takashi's process because the process of the mangaka is always fascinating to me. You always hear about these horrible deadline crunches, this major stress. She talks about and in interviews how her secret is she always meets her deadlines. And that's how you avoid the the editor banging down your door. And, and she's like notoriously great at meeting deadlines, getting her work out as needed, and putting out a ton of stuff. She produces around 80 pages a month, unless she's got side work. She said she can get up to 104 pages of output in a single month. That's ridiculous. Takashi said, before I start on a story, I meet with my editor to discuss the basic outline and which characters to use. She then spends a day or so thinking about the story, then does rough sketches, large one, quote, large ones, working out problems or ideas for specific panels. Then I set up the actual boards and put down the layouts for the entire story. She then does her pencil work and inks one at a time. This diverges a lot from other mangaka. They do, uh, you know, they'll do all the pencil work and then go back and do all the ink work. She does pencil ink, pencil ink, each one at a time. And then uh, she also, at least for Ranma, she had four assistants that drew backgrounds, panel lines, and tone while she does the story, layout, pencils, and inks on the characters. All of her assistants are female. She said, I don't use male assistants so that the girls will work more seriously if they aren't worried about those boys. Uh, <laughs> which I thought was, I was like, oh, cool, empowering. And then I was like, oh, it's because they she doesn't want them to be boy crazy. <laughs> so she only hires I, women. I, if anything, I don't think she wants boys to be girl crazy (laughs) yeah if anything yeah it would probably be that she lays out the chapter in the evening so as to finish it by dawn and then rests for a day before calling her assistants who finish it in two or three nights so it's a five-day process all told also i didn't realize this it's it appears that most uh creators of manga they like rise they kind of live like me they like rise in the afternoon they work way into the evening up until sunrise and then they crash and sleep through the morning and <laughs> i thought that was kind of fascinating i was i always just assumed they're super they're way more like disciplined and they wake up at dawn you know what i mean and they like have this whole process but instead it seems like no they're they're artists are artists no matter what we we're nocturnal creatures most of us so either way uh i yeah so 
So this whole thing makes its way to America. Back in 1992, Viz Media released Ronmo One Half in a monthly comic book format that contained two chapters each, with the images flipped to read left to right, which ran into the early 2000s, the release span over 13 years, making it Viz's longest-running manga, and that's how it, uh, and now we get to the anime series. Before we talk about the anime series, though, Jake, do you have any more sort of fun factoids about nipples or whatever it may be before we talk about the anime series? Uh, I think the best way to enjoy Rama One Half right now is to find uh, the manga and start reading from the beginning, and because a lot of that really uh-huh. shines through. Beautiful All, illustrations. Uh, dynamic illustrations, uh, really uh, unique comedy timing and just solid fundamental, uh, just enjoyable manga storytelling. But if you want well rendered nipples, you're gonna have to go somewhere else. Okay, Dear check reader. the OV, check the OAVs if you want if you want those <laughs> horny nipples. Uh, the way that the comic was released, uh, I don't know how deep we'll get into Viz, but basically it was an American arm of Shokugan uh, Publishing that kind of tried to figure out a way to sell uh, anime properties in America, and they kind of failed with Urusei Yatsura. They did not get a good uh, response from that. They tried to, like, colorize the pages and make it seem like it was Mm. just another American comic book, Hmm. but the way that they flipped the art to make it read like a normal American comic, they published two chapters at once, which was essentially the same size as a floppy comic book, and... um, it was a long process to figure out how to get manga into the hands of American comic book fans. But uh, that weird translation bump was the challenge of Viz to try and figure out how to translate Japanese comics culture to America. And dear God, I had and the graphic novels were published way before. Like it got a boost once the Barnes and Noble anime li- you know, manga library section kind of came into being. But before that. I would have to get him to special order the graphic novel compilations from my local comic book shop. You kids with your sitting at the Barnes and Noble just reading eight fucking volumes at a time. You don't know how good you had it, damn it. <laughs> God damn. God damn. This, this whole topic is just sending me. I love it. It's turning. He's becoming a boy. You, you can't see it, but the transformation is real. He's lost his beard. He's becoming a tiny child who loves his horny, fun anime comedy or manga comedy and it's just a beautiful thing to see i'm roman mars host of 99 invisible i'm excited to be teaming up with lexus gx and sirius xm on some very special 99 pi episodes we're heading to some of the cities in the u.s that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function to learn more about the lexus gx and sirius xm and lexus vehicles visit lexus.com gx and SiriusXM.com slash lexus trial the all-new lexus gx live up to it check out the 99 invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash listener oh i i do want to mention this um the localization was done by an american writer named gerard jones who was hired by viz and a lot of the hard work of like translating the puns so that they made sense to an american audience 
doing weird little localization things where uh, if it was a joke that a character was throwing beans at like a, a demonic character because there's an old folk tradition where uh, you can scare away Oni with like beans. Like they'd have to be like, uh, are you a trick or treater? Take some candy. Like just really doing going above and beyond to try and like make sure that a lay audience could follow the story and like get the humor that was happening. Uh, Gerard Jones uh, worked on a ton of different series, including uh, Urusei Yatsura, Meisan Koku, Inuyasha at a certain point. Uh, in 2016, he was caught with a whole bunch of child porn, so we're just not going to talk ah, about him anymore. Very upsetting. Oh, whoops. Turns out that series about all the naked high school students. Yeah. <laughs> whoops. Well, I'll talk about it. Let's just move it right along. The anime yeah. series. It was originally created by Studio Dean back in 1989, and it was aired on Fuji TV. Studio Dean was founded back in 1975 by a producer from Sunrise. We talk about Sunrise all the time. Big hitter. It's like the Hanna-Barbera of anime. They're, they were the Gundam guys. They were yeah. the Gundam company, but then was very quickly uh, got a lot of outsource work for American cartoons that uh, we've talked about. We've talked about. It. Yeah. Named uh, and the producer was named is named Hiroshi Hasegawa. And there were also several ex Sunrise animators that started up Studio Dean. Their first game, their first gig, rather, was the anime adaptation Urusai Yatsura, and they still exist today, most notably recently doing Seven Deadly Sins, the series. Mm. Uh, however, after just 18 episodes, the show was canceled due to low ratings, so it was reworked by most of the same staff, and it was retitled Ranma One Half Netohen and launched in a different time slot. This is a hit. It runs for 143 episodes up to the end of 1992. The main difference, and I, do you have any understanding of why they made this choice? The main difference from the anime and the manga is that Ranma's sex transformation is kept a secret from the high school students for most of the run. That seems like a fundamentally huge change. Do you know why they did, the, went with that? The high school, the a lot of the action takes place in a high school, and a lot of Ranma's enemies are just overly intense versions of high school club archetypes. There's the, you know... The, the baseball club, the gymnastics club, the shogi club. I love to, all they these. all dress like the thing. It's like yeah. you, if, if you're a baseball player, you are going to go to high school in just your full-on baseball gear, holding a baseball bat for the entire day of school, every single day. Cast member Tatewaki Kuno, uh, uh, the pompous rich guy with the perm haircut, is the captain of the kendo club, and he just walks around in a full kendo uniform carrying a sword. <laughs> and uh, mostly the high school students are just a rabble of Greek chorus mm. who just, like, kind of point out, like, man, that's a lot of stolen panties, or, like, hey, <laughs> like, you you just broke the basketball st cord. You, we just rebuilt that. Like, it's usually just for comedic effect. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really affect the story that much. The anime and the manga had a lot of issues keeping up with each other. So there is a lot more filler material. A lot more characters are brought back for one arcs. There's a lot more original characters in the anime. The uh, main thing that uh, I noticed is that initial 18 episode run is really well done. There's a lot of really good shots, a lot of like nice Sakuga, good animation, um, really well paced, really good character designs. And uh, the season two, the Netohen, uh, which is a weird pun over like boiling water or like battle spirit is definitely, a, it, the animation is definitely cheaper. You can definitely tell corners had to get cut, especially because the time slot was earlier in the evening, so it didn't have that primetime budget. And the series actually got more and more popular, so as the series goes on, uh, you can tell the animation budget gets higher, the character designs get more refined, they switch directors, and 
it definitely ups in quality the longer it goes to the point where, well, we'll, we'll get into the o- OAVs, but uh, the thing I want to talk about is uh, the way it was released in America was that Viz would put only two episodes on a single VHS and sell them for about $25 to $30. And you bought them. What is the deal with Not Al- a bunch. <laughs> it would be like, again, this was super expensive. We're talking like 90s dollars. Dude, I remember Thir- going to a dude's place where it was like definitely one of those situations where I think we were going to like get weed or something. And it was like we mm-hmm. were way too young to be at this weird dude's place or whatever. But he was like a coworker, one of my friends. And he had lining his apart- entire apartment wall like every Dragon Ball VHS tape individually. Mm-hmm. It was so many tapes. He spent so much money on that. He was like a dude that worked at like a pizza place, right? And these are commercial free episodes. So <laughs> yeah. like we're talking like 20 plus minutes per, like for 40 minutes, like a dollar per minute of anime content pretty much. <laughs> uh, I did a quick calculation and at some point later when they switched to DVDs, they did uh, up it to three episodes and uh, a, a purchase, but you would spend if to buy all of Ranma one half as it was released, you would have to spend pretty much two thousand dollars. I thought that guy was the coolest guy I'd ever met when I met that guy, and now it's very different in hindsight. The real fuck, <laughs> the real fucking thing was the subtitled version. So in theory, the version that had less work put into it. Uh, cost an additional ten dollars, so it would be forty dollars wow. for two episodes of anime. Wow! Insane. Meanwhile, how much is a Crunchyroll subscription now? Like a like four, six bucks, six bucks maybe. It, I don't know. It, it's unbelievable what we what we put ourselves through. I remember. I mean, I got the 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 Boo Saga. I got on bootleg VHSs, and it looked awful. It was like this terrible quality. Anyways, I watched that entire thing, and I was I thought I had been given like a gift from God. I don't know why I'm talking about Dragon Ball so much. It just it's it's reminding me of a totally different time in anime consumption. Like just so different. And and you're talking about Crunchyroll subscription. A lot of shit's on Netflix at this point. Rodman one <laughs> half, by the way, it's all on Hulu. It's not all on Hulu. Like the first three seasons are on Hulu. Okay. Yes. Sorry, I think I didn't get super far in. Either way, let's talk about the films and the OVAs. You keep saying OAV and it's throwing me off. Is it is it kind of like a one or the other situation? Uh yeah. Uh, okay, great. So the original uh, video animation, I believe, is what it stands for, right? Um, oh, wait. Uh, so the uh, localization, the dubbing, was done by uh, uh, Studio Ocean, which has was basically the only game in town for dubbing anime at the time. They used Canadian voice actors and uh, uh, so many iconic performances. A lot of those old Ocean dubs have been like redone. Sailor Moon got redone. Uh, the uh, Akira got redone. But you, those iconic Ocean dub voices are still the version you get if you want to buy it. And uh, oh god, it's not Tara Strong. Who was the voice of Ranma? It was like Sarah Strong. It was something <laughs> weird. Uh, the voice of Shampoo is really iconic. It's it's considering all the limitations they had to work with, like matching the mouth flaps, having to do uh, localization on the fly. Uh, the anime localization was done by a woman named Trish something. She did a very good job. It's, it's It took a lot of different pieces all working together, and uh, the end result is something of very mixed quality. Because mm. like I said, the anime does use a lot of filler episodes. A lot of things were done out of order. Uh, in season two, there was a uh, infamous child abduction case in Japan. Mm. And so an entire story arc was that was called The Abduction of Pichan, which is a... Um, 
one of the characters uh, turns into a pig and that pig's name Peach uh, had to get pushed back. This would air episodes out of order because yeah, if, why? Uh, because of the two episode um, uh, format, they didn't want cliffhangers or like you know uh, one off cliffhangers. They wanted at least if you bought a single VHS, they would you would want to keep it in the same storyline, so they would air stuff out of order to avoid that. Characters would be uh, written out of the show only to be reintroduced in later seasons and have their storylines done years after the fact. It's it was it's kind of it's trans trying to keep a timeline in place of like what aired, what was published in the manga and what was released in America is almost impossible. So let's talk about the films in the OVAs, original video animations. Studio Dean created three theatrical films as well. The Battle of Nekonron, China, a battle to defy the rules known in America as Big Trouble in Nekonron, China. Oh, really? <laughs> I prefer the title, The Battle of Nekonron, China. By the way, I keep saying it like that because there's it's comma space China exclamation point. A battle to defy the rules exclamation point. I prefer that. Please, Jake. Mm-hmm. Or uh, the other one is Battle of Toginkyo, Get Back the Brides. And the last one, Super Indiscriminate Decisive Battle. Team Ranma versus the legendary Phoenix. Uh, that was released as an <laughs> OVA as from Viz because it was kind of part of a double feature and wouldn't have okay. stood up as its own um, movie. Big Trouble in Nekonron, China. I have uh, much less memories of, but the uh, it was aired in a, it was released in America as Nihao My Concubine, and <laughs> holy shit, this this one is just pure fan service. It's literally just a hour long beach episode. All the characters are in swimwear, uh, real horny animation. There's bounces and jiggles and All right. tons of fight scenes, tons and tons of fight scenes. Every character, well, how are you going to get them to bounce and jiggle if they're not fighting each other. Every character gets a chance to do all of their cool special moves that they've learned over the years. Very, very like really good animation. Uh, if you if you want to see Ron at its most cheesecake, definitely that second movie is the way to go. Also, uh, actually, uh, Mary, can you just uh, throw in some uh, the the music theme from the from the the breakout single "Piece of Love" just for my own nostalgia's sake? The rhythm. Piece of love. So after the ending of the TV series, there were 11 OVAs, and they were released directly to home video. So this thing just keeps coming, just keeps banging it out. And then there's also a ton of video games, and I do want to talk about the one game translation. Oh, one thing before we get into uh, the video games, because that's important, uh, the... The image album was introduced with Ranma, at least to American audiences, because uh, it was a popular tie-in for anime and uh, for anime at the time that the female voice actors would form impromptu girl groups and release singles in character <laughs> as the uh, as as the characters from the show, Amazing. and so. Uh, Parodying a popular girl band at the time, Coco, the Ranma voice actresses were releasing albums as Doko, and it even got to the point where they had the English voice actors uh, release single, translated singles to use in the anime releases as Doko USA. Mary, I know I just did this, but (laughs) if you could do Red Shoe Sunday, just listen to these Canadian women sing some anime music. 
Why are we going down this? All right, I'm pulling you out of the hole. You asked me to pull yeah, you out I'm, of the uh, hole. Uh, oh, thank God. Daylight. <laughs> oh, thank God. Uh, so either way, let's talk about these video games. There's a funny little mini tale to tell within the video games. There have been 15 video games for the franchise, most of which are fighting games. There's a couple of RPGs and puzzle games thrown into the mix. Only two, however, made it to the States. The first one, though, was originally called in Japan, Ranma One Half. Uh, Chonai Geki Tohen, but it was released in America under the title Street Combat. Holy and we took a little shit. gander at this game during our Sunday study session, and it is completely repurposed. Oh, are you talking about the thing where uh, if you're a Patreon subscriber on the Discord tier, you can actually stream with us and Man. enter the voice chat as we study for the upcoming week's episode? Every Sunday, 5 p.m. E.T. We all hang out and go over stuff. And this was one of the highlights from last week's study session. It, it, street combat. A, it looks like a fucking horrific fighting game. B, all of the characters are changed over. What were some of the what were some of the one-to-ones? Well, okay, so Ranma, classic character, uh, you know, uh Marshall, a Japanese boy uh, dressed in Chinese garb with cool kung fu powers with like a pigtail. And very OP. Very OP. Uh, was changed to cool sunglass blonde spiky hair warrior Steven. <laughs> and a blue unitard. Let's see. Uh, Genma Saotome, Ranma's dad, was turned into just a big black guy <laughs> with spiky mohawks. The high school principal of the Furrican high, sc- uh, high School who had a Hawaiian theme in the anime, uh, was transformed into a skateboarding robot for no reason. Uh, Something happened where they were like, listen, people aren't going to dig all these Japanese shit. Uh, Street Fighter hasn't established the fact that people love Japanese shit yet. So we're going to make this fighting game cool for Americans and did a total sprite swap. And it is ugly as sin. Everything has this harsh cyberpunk edge to it. And it is just unplayable it looks genuinely terrible the it's 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 maybe one of the most comically inept localizations ever done in the history of western media yeah it's so crazy uh the other one by the way is uh ronmo oh, wait, wait wait uh, i forgot i forgot uh 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 tatewaki kuno the haughty uh president of the kendo club who is in traditional like kendo garb with a wooden sword is transformed into gi jim <laughs> a yeah, guy gi jim who is uh, wields a metal pipe for no apparent reason other than the <laughs> fact that they had to uh, sprite swap the sword out of him. I mean, what's a GI going to wield but a metal pipe? Not a, you know. <laughs> a classic weapon of the U.S. military. Classic, classic. A random metal Standard pipe. Standard issue. Well, the other game, by the way, is called Ranma One Half Hard Battle, and that was actually released in its unaltered form, so a lot less exciting. I owned this. I loved this game so much. It took me forever to find. I had to go, like, they didn't have it at Toys R Us. Uh, It was supposedly at KB Toy Stores, uh, RIP. And I had to beg my mom to drive me out to every single one in the tri-state area until I, until I, like, hunted down the actual last copy in the tri-state area. Like, they checked the system and they were like, oh, you're pretty lucky. This is the last (laughs) one. This, it, it is a visually fantastic game if you are a fan of the anime and the manga there's tons of nice little cutscenes and great little uh in jokes in there 
it's very fun to play. A lot of the special moves uh, are uh, not really based on quarter circle Hadoukens. They're very easy inputs, uh, simple button presses to do the special moves. Uh, Ranma and Ryoga are way overpowered. My, uh, I played it with my little sisters a lot because I was obviously the cool older brother and the fact that he was watching this horny th- <laughs> cartoon from across the seas uh, did not dawn on them. Uh, and so uh, to this day, I asked uh, my sister, like, hey, what do you remember about Ram? And she was like, I remember I could kick your ass at the video game by ah. spamming Ryoga's umbrella attack. <laughs> love it. Love it. <laughs> Uh, so, did you, Jake, catch the live-action TV adaptation that it aired on Nippon TV at the end of 2011? No, I did not. It does not seem to be good. Uh, I could tell because it was a live-action anime adaptation. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. most universal marker for a disappointing experience. The poster of it just looks like such a TV anime live-action adaptation. Yeah, I think uh, they used a puppet for the panda, for Genma as a panda. I don't think it was particularly well done. I've got a couple of fine quotes to end this episode with, but do you have any other, because there's so many little corners that I know you've reached into, and Mm. it's become quite evident from all the little things we've hit on throughout this uh, episode. This is such a Jake episode. Is there anything you want to hit on before I close this out with a couple of solid quotations? Uh, I just want to, uh, I just want people to know that Ranma One Half is not the best anime ever made. In fact, anime has learned and grown past Rama One Half to the point where shonen fight anime has evolved into its own thing. And now we have modern hits like My Hero Academia. Even like the romantic comedy slice of life stuff has evolved into its own thing. And uh, even the proto Sundare harem thing has evolved into its own separate corner, the waifu corner of anime. But as a foundational bedrock for that fandom... Ranma One Half was probably the best possible instigator for all that because it contained within it was so much that you became anime literate by consuming that first. And uh, I'm just very thankful that we now live in a world where I don't have to research Web.10 websites to figure out who the fuck Pantyhose Taro is <laughs> because he showed up in a fighting game years before he would show up in the anime, years before he would show up in the manga. It is the way we distribute the stuff now is way more efficient so and way much more approachable. Yeah, for sure. This is uh, what Takashi had to say about her. Oh, pop- Ryoga's the coolest. Ryoga's the absolute coolest. He got the coolest special moves. He had the coolest powers. He uh, actually had a cool character arc. He had a cool bandana. He had the coolest weapons. I fucking loved Ryoga. I wanted to be Ryoga as a guy, as a, as a young man. So this is what Takashi had to say about her popularity in America. If it's really true, then I'm truly happy. But I must also confess as to being rather puzzled as to why my work should be so well-received. It's my intention to be putting in a lot of Japanese references, Japanese lifestyle and feelings, even concepts such as a subtle awareness of the four seasons. I really have to wonder if foreign readers can understand all this. And if so, how? Well, obviously, and that I think that begs the question of like, I think it's a mixture of there's a lot that resonates and there's also a lot that is this whole new world. It's almost like being interested in, you know, Lord of the Rings because it's this fantasy world. It seems that way to us a little bit. And we covered that. This is a nice quote to end it out from Takahashi about essentially what she wants out of, out of manga. I think my comics are things that people should just read and enjoy and laugh along with. And that's really enough for me. I suppose that there are deeper things hidden in my work, sometimes not deliberately, but 
I don't sit, set out to write literature. One theme that runs through my work, or at least I try to make it that way, is the idea that people should be kind to others. So if people read my comics and begin to feel more strongly that their friends are important, that they shouldn't be cruel to them or anyone, if people can get those feelings out of my work, then that's enough. If people become more gentle in their lives because of my comics, then that would really make me happy. It would be worth all the work and sacrifice in my life so far. Which I think is a very sweet note to end on. You horny little boy, I'm done talking to you, Jake. You're disgusting. Uh, thank you so much for joining us <laughs> for today's episode. Looks like you got it from here, Holden. I'll just uh, log off and you got this. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, guys. This has been a lot of fun. This is very, very eye-opening. I feel like I know my friend a little bit better, Jake. Follow me on Twitter at BestJakeYoung. <laughs> I open I my soul to you. I, I, I reveal my honest heart to a trusted friend, <laughs> and this is how I met. Are we like back? I'm like the bully in, in middle school right now. And you're like on your way to anime club. Jake, I do. No, this was really interesting. And I really did love learning We're gonna about do it. Vampire the Masquerade episode. And you will be the horny one. <laughs> Vampire the Masquerade. We'd have to, you know, we'd have to do an episode on a uh, uh, VIP starring Pamela Anderson. <laughs> if you wanted to make fun of me. Um, but yeah, th- thank you so much for listening. Check us out on patreon.com forward slash. Whizbrew, uh, we do weekly bonus episodes, $5 a month, $15 a month. We do those Sunday study sessions we mentioned. It's a lot of fun, having a ton of fun with some fans on there. It's really, really an enjoyable way to end the week. And uh, you can catch me on twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. I stream Monday, Tuesday, Friday nights, among other possible pop-up streams. Um, I think I might show everyone how I can beat Ring Fit Adventure because I beat it the other day and I saw credits and I'm done working out for good. Jake? <laughs> uh, shout out to Furincon.com, which was a massive resource for a lot of Ranma One Half trivia. More information than we could possibly contain on this episode. Everything from interviews with well, voice actresses to a timeline of all of Rumiko Takahashi's works. Uh, lost interviews, including a 1987 sit-down where Dragon Ball's Akira Toriyama and Rumiko Takahashi sit down just as oh, Rama yeah. and Dragon Ball were getting rolling. Oh, and all yeah. I could think was, if I just like sent a Terminator to that exact moment, <laughs> all of our lives would be completely different. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, there you go. There you have it. Uh, thank you again. And uh, what else was I going to say? Oh, yeah, I was going to say this. Never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.